You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are an Indian living abroad, feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host Ehsan Ali, a long-time IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack these stories, strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats to help you and I reach our full potential. If you are a startup or thinking of starting a business or you are a corporate leader or aspiring leader the conversation with today's guest is going to be very valuable for you Chinmaya Anand failed in six startups before he succeeded in his current business endeavor which is in financial education to businesses and corporate leaders he believes it's vital to understand finance fundamental to run a business I'm quite keen to learn from Chinmaya's failed startup experiences and also uh, finally how he succeeded in his current business so without further ado let's talk to our guest chinmaya ananda hi chinmaya welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me shah Uh, thanks for uh, uh, taking your time out in my and as i mentioned to you when we talked this whole empowering indian expats podcast is about bringing in stories of indian expats uh, who have either transitioned from corporate to entrepreneurship or uh, they have done something interesting within corporate world itself and when i met you i realized uh, you have a story to tell in terms of how starting as a civil engineer and then becoming a finance educator uh, was pretty interesting for me and you have also gone through a transition from uh, a corporate to entrepreneurship so i thought your story will create a lot of value for me and for my audience so that's where we are i hope so thank you and uh, you and i got excited when uh, i heard about you know what you do with regards to your podcast so even i'm really looking forward to hearing from other people who might have taken that path which is not really conventional if i could put it that way True. and and again you know who are we to say what's right what's wrong what's good or what's bad as long as at the end of the night you now we can go to bed sleep you know peacefully thinking that you know what i think i have lived a, a satisfactory day or a life true true very true so i would like to know i would definitely want to go deep into it and especially on those areas where you have seen yourself developing from who you were to who you are uh, you have become a lot of time people think entrepreneurship is about uh, making money or having an idea but they miss the part that like the way in employment you go through a series of learning and experience and a skill in entrepreneurship also there are skills that you need to have otherwise it's not like you put a money and you know make money so those are the things are running in my mind when i'm thinking of you so why didn't you give your introduction your way which would probably be much better than i would do? I'm, i'm sure most of the people who will be watching this might be from indian origin so they may not find it really hard to pronounce my name chinmay in case if they do it's like my chin the other way around chinmay so that's me <laughs> that's good by chance i became an engineer and again please don't ask me why i became one in india there's a funny saying first you become engineer and then you ask what am i supposed to do in life so pretty much uh, the same thing now father is an engineer brother is an engineer most of my friends in the neighborhood they were all engineers 
So I was feeling left out. You know, monkeys see, monkeys do. And I decided to be a civil engineer only to realize this is not something I can do for the rest of my life. Coming from a family business background, my father started his own industry back in early 80s. And he's still active uh, in that particular business where we manufacture carton boxes. Carton I knew boxes. I, carton boxes, yeah. I, I, I knew that I always wanted to do something on my own. However, I was not sure what it was. And that is when uh, someone said to me, why don't you go and do an MBA? Because <clears> it will be a bit generic and it might help you on a long run. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I don't have any sisters or I don't have any kind of family uh, obligations or responsibilities with regards to financial uh, things. So uh, I think I can easily go abroad. And then one of the factors that really made me do is I wanted to even enjoy my bachelor life because all my life I was in with my parents in India. So Makes that's sense. when I decided to go to Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, at RMIT, I uh, did MBA. This was back in 2007, 2008. And then I thought, oh, I've got MBA next to my name. I think I can run a successful business. Well, that wasn't the case. Now, nothing against MBA, nothing against RMIT. In fact, I teach the subject finance. At, at RMIT today, it was all because of my ignorance. Anyway, mm. long story short, I started a startup, didn't go well. Again, now you watch all these motivational videos. They say, don't give up, never give up, keep pushing forward. So I said, okay, let me start one more. Let me start one more. And after six failed startups, I did something wise. And that was asking for help. Mm. And that is when I met my first business mentor who analyzed what all I had done and said, Chinmay, do yourself a favor, educate yourself on the subject finance. Mm. Because finance is the root of how business makes money and language of business is numbers. Again, long story short, uh, that is how I got into what I'm doing today, where I educate people on the subject finance. So in the last eight to 10 years of me playing this game as a financial educator, I have trained close to 1,500 people, key decision makers uh, in businesses and uh, large corporates, mainly in Australia, India, a few of them in China and Indonesia as well. Uh, I have got my own analytical business analytics software, which was developed back in 2017. And of late, we also developed an accounting software, keeping business owners in mind to better educate them. So now yeah. all of it, because of COVID, now we had to adapt to this online world. So it's all yeah. offered a hybrid. And then fortunately, I'm able to still educate people staying where I am as of now in Bangalore, my webinar studio, and still able to pay forward my learning. So Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I would definitely want to know quite a few things about finance, especially in the startup phase. That's where I am in. And if I understood right, you educate businesses, so business leaders and businesses. And uh, that would be mostly startup, if I'm right. Yeah, they are one of my target markets, uh, startup founders. However, I enjoy working uh, with manufacturing businesses. As I said, our family business is in manufacturing. Manufacturing, so okay. I, say I, I, can, I understand how that sector works. Mm. Uh, mm. And again, you know, these days I'm very choosy with the clients uh, I, I work with. Fortunately, I've reached that stage where I can choose my clients. Right. Uh, consulting is very, I'm kind of really picky with that. Apart from that, yes, education, why by conducting training, webinars, seminars, I've got apps with few business schools. I teach a few MBA business schools. So uh, yeah, all good so far. So you're teaching in uh, two schools in Australia, if I remember right, when you met uh, last One, time. yes, with RMIT uh, in RMIT. Brunswick campus. They have masters of fashion entrepreneurship 
program, which I believe like is one of the top passion uh, programs uh, in, in the world. And I was told it through another business school called Ducer Global Business School of Business who offer executive MBAs mm. to all the working professionals. They have tapped with uh, Torrance University, University of Canberra. So even in those universities, I, I teach MBA, I mean, the subject finance to MBA students. That's good, man. And so that's a very credible, uh, what do you call the a step where uh, not only you are training business leaders, you are training academic, you're part of the academic as well. So you are kind of connected with the research as well as the practical part of it together. Yes, thank you. So, Perfect. It's it okay. all works together. So how about uh, we pick up two themes, uh, Chinmay. One is about you starting, deciding to leave your job. I'm guessing you started some jobs after you finished your MBA. And then some of those interesting ideas that you worked on, which failed your learnings and things like that. So from starting to what you worked on, and then from there doing all these startups learning, and then eventually setting up a business which worked, if you could get that picture, that would be one part. And second part would be, what are you really teaching? If you can take out theme of it, some valuable thought processes that you can share, it could be very valuable for me as well as the audience. How about that? Okay, great. Sure. Okay, so let's now, start with, did you do any job or not after your MBA? Oh, I did. I did quite a few jobs. In fact, during that phase when I came back to India in 2008 after graduating from uh, RMIT, I, I was juggling with a few jobs and also uh, startups. And when I had lost all my savings, I was in debt. I was desperately looking for some kind of a job because I didn't want to go and ask my father to pay the educational, the, you know, EMI that I was supposed to pay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. juggling around multiple jobs and whoever, whoever was ready to pay more, I was not happy to jump. But one thing, one thing I did was I always make sure that I gave a heads up uh, to my employer saying that, hey, you know what, kind of reach a stage where I don't think I'm growing or I can add value. So is it okay for me to look out for uh, other opportunities and I'll be more than happy to find someone who can replace me? Because one of the things I learned from my mentor is not to burn the bridge after I cross. Definitely. Uh, so even today, I'm in touch with most of my employers and some of them are my clients who are, are taking the analytical software. So that's how now I, I made sure that I kept in touch with uh, quite a few of them. But that phase, uh, for nearly three, and three to four years, I worked for eight different companies. Eight different uh, companies in three years. In fact, probably now I'll, I'll share this now because somewhere it is related to why uh, now later it made me really change my career. For me, again, you know, when you watch all these motivational videos or, or inspirational videos or videos about finding your passion and reading books and things like that, so I was asking myself, okay, everyone talks about passion. So how can I find that? Usually what, what people have done in history is they try to uh, analyze what all people have done and you know they will find some kind of a pattern and they say, hey, if you do this, 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 then this is what you're going to end up with. Yeah. So I decided to interview a lot of people whom I thought were successful in their respective field. But what I was not able to find out was that pattern. pattern. Some people yeah. said, you know what, right from my childhood, I knew this is what I wanted to do. Some people said, you know what, I had the skill and uh, I really enjoyed doing this. Some people said, you know, accidentally I stumbled upon this. Some people said, someone said, hey, you should be doing this. So there wasn't a pattern that I could kind of take and replicate. 
So one of my very good mentor, his name is Apuresh Acharya. Yes, I don't, I'm not sure how many of them have heard his name. He was the trainer at Dale Carnegie's Institute back okay. in the 80s and 70s. In okay. fact, he was awarded as the best trainer among the Dale Carnegie's circuit back in 1975. So the uh, no widow of uh, Dale Carnegie, Dorothy Carnegie, she personally handed him the certificate. And in late 70s, he was the one who brought in behavioral training into India. I so see. fortunately, I have been, uh, I have done his program, have closely seen him on stage, off stage, been a very good friend with him, traveled on with holidays. So I've seen him not just saying things, but also doing things. So I asked him once, like, Apurish, how will I know that I'm successful? Mm. Or how will I go about finding that passion? So passion, he said, you know what, when you get it, you're going to find it. I said, okay, that's not a convincing answer. However, if you want to know if you're successful or not, you will probably get to know on a Monday morning. I said, can mm. you please elaborate? Mm. And he said, on a Monday morning, when you wake up or when the your alarm rings and you go, oh my God, it's a Monday morning. You hit the snooze button. I have to again go back to the same job or the same business or whatever project you're working on. Same client, same people. Another week, I can't wait. For the next weekend, I can't believe that weekend has gone. And somehow you push and drag yourself out of the bed. I think that's a sign for you to do something with your life. However, on the other hand, even before the alarm rings, you jump out of the bed and you say, oh boy, oh boy, it's a Monday. I'm mm -hmm. so excited and looking forward for the projects that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to meet all these people. I can't wait to see what might happen with the things that I'm working. And I can't believe that already, no, uh, a new week has started. Then probably you can consider yourself uh, as successful. Very well articulated, uh, Chinma. I think it's the easiest way to find out. So rather than doing experiments and going through your strength finder and uh, MBTI, and there are so many personality and interest and all those strength finder tools are there. Rather than going through all those things and spending hours, just think mm. about um, uh, this Monday and the last Monday and the last Monday, if you could remember. And it's so obvious pattern. You would know exactly uh, where, whether you are in the right direction or not. So I really liked it. No, really. Thanks. Thanks for Thank sharing you, that. Which I've been doing so, <laughs> so that was good. So, so that, that's a good insight. Yeah. So that's, that's when now, again, he was trying to convey that in my end of the day, you have to find it from within. You can't ask people outside, okay, they might give you all these tips and tricks and yes, now we can take all those tests to find our strengths and weaknesses and so on and so forth. Again, all that is designed for you to further introspect. Introspect, absolutely. And I said, okay, uh, I was asking myself a few questions, how should I go about it? And somehow now I came up with three questions, which I religiously ask myself uh, every three months in front of the mirror. So question number one, what the heck am I doing in life? Of course, I used to replace the word heck with something else, with other adjective, but it, the, the intention behind the question is as if now you're standing in front of the mirror and the person in the mirror is giving you one tight slap and is asking you, hey, what the heck are you doing in life? The second question is, if I had all the money in the world, will I still be doing whatever I'm doing? The third question was, Am I living life or am I surviving it? Living is the way I want to live. Surviving, of course, is the way to live, the way the society expects me 
to live. So somewhere, Ishan, these three questions made me really further introspect. And as they say, you know, you can cheat anyone and everyone and pretend to be someone else, but not uh, with the person, the guy in the glass. Yeah, I hope that you have read the poem Guy in the Glass by Dale Vibro. No, I haven't. I I recommend you to Google it. I have written it on my mirror. And 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 I was really surprised this poem was written back in 1914-14. Dale Vibro. Dale? Dale, uh, D-A-L-E. Surname is Vibro. W-I-B-R-O-W. If you Google uh, Guy in the Glass poem, uh, I'm sure you will uh, find it. Yeah, sure. Five stanzas, amazing. That that really made me understand what honesty, what integrity is all about. Oh, wow. I'll definitely go through that. Cool. Okay, fantastic. So that was a good... So I, I'm seeing a pattern and I had a brief conversation uh, last time with you. This, the personal development side of it has been a big part of how you have transitioned and transformed into who you have become. Definitely, yes. It has you know, kind of it, it has been a significant factor in my life, mm. if I could. That mm. Mm. So, uh, on the summarizing the uh, employment part, three, four years, what kind of employment you did? Initially, I started with civil and I was like, you know what, I can't be uh, on site. I would prefer something more of managerial role and things like that. So, got into corporates. Then suddenly, I realized, you know what, in corporates, it's like, your role is so defined, there isn't much of creativity that you can use to, to further expand or enhance your knowledge. So I was doing that, so doing a bit of this, and then someone said, Chinmay, if you really have to get an understanding, because on a long run, you want to have your own business, go and work for SME. Hmm. So I was working with recycling, the recycling sector, and against the manufacturing sector. So experimented with quite a few things. And finally, I spent almost a year and a half in a biomass power plantation in a very remote village in Tamil Nadu called Shivagangai. And mm-hmm. the, one of the former finance minister, Chidam. One of the reasons I said yes is simply because I was invited to one of the Rotary Clubs mm-hmm. as a speaker. I'm doing something that is like giving back to the society. And at the same mm-hmm. time, it's happening in a remote place. So it's like it's I'm out of the city. And then again, it's a project, which means I, I wanted to experience uh, firsthand what it takes to start a project from scratch till the end. Got it. Uh, so we had more than 50 investors, I mean, five, six directors. So I learned a lot what to do and also what not to do. Because again, this was, I can say it, it, it was more of a startup. And they were doing something that hasn't been done before. So that really gave me a lot of experience and at the same time learned uh, many things which which even today uh, has annoys is helping me on uh, uh, in a big time so across these three four years of employment uh, of course you learned and something you didn't like or something you felt like getting bored now the next uh, five six uh, startups that you did can you give me a brief of what are those startups and just a brief on whichever one you yeah. feel comfortable in fact, the very first one was uh, something related to civil itself. It was construction waste recycling. Construction uh, waste when recycling. When I was in Melbourne, uh, those days RMIT had a campus on uh, Burke Street. Of course, then they moved to Queens and then now they have their own campus, own building. So very close to where we had the, the business school, one of the old buildings was getting demolished. So I used to walk past that and then I used to see this big 
are not demolition companies name and and always something happening so i got curious to know okay what is it they're going to do once they demolish with all the you know uh, construction debris yeah so i just walked in and i said hey can i meet your manager or the concerned person who's in charge of this project and i used to always play this card saying that i am a student and i'm doing some research working mm. on a project it opens doors Mm. So they said, uh, "Right, I'm not sure who it is, but that's the office. You go and talk to that person." So I went. I spoke to that person again. The same card. I'm a student, so on. And reluctantly, he said, "You know what? I did not give this." And he gave the phone number of the main kind of vice president of the company. So I called him up and said, "Sir, this is me, so on and so forth." And he was kind enough to invite me to their location where they actually recycle. And he said, "You know, I see this is a model." we take money from the people who have got that waste and it comes into our uh, location we refurbish it to a great extent we recycle it or even we resell something that can be sold later and when it is going again we make money so that's our our business model i went wow this is cool and mm-hmm. then I, i think i i want to do something similar even in india and mm-hmm. immediately you now i was here and set up everything and thought you no know, there's so much of demolition happening and things like that that is when i realized you know what i'm offering an australian solution for an indian problem right because in australia the rules are so stringent and then they make sure that no waste cannot be just dumped or disposed anywhere and everywhere which mm-hmm. unfortunately in india can be done to a great extent in our skirts of it yeah yeah people are like why should i pay you True. to this and then True. okay i don't want to uh, buy anything i mean recycle one i want something new because it's kind of cheap if you compare it that way so mm-hmm. that was my first thing as i was in you know doing a lot of research in recycling those days electronic waste e waste recycling used to mm-hmm. pop up so i spent a lot of time in that started another thing got stuck with their compliance you no know, getting the certificate and then that was the phase where i was so desperate that anything you look around and sometimes this happens with entrepreneurs or people who want to take that path any shining object we go after that hey we are like here is an opportunity here is an opportunity i think i can do this i can do this i will get someone to manage this and it all over the place and later i know one of my mentors said chinmay a person who chases two rabbits catches me mm-hmm. developing websites and did marketing even though i have got absolutely no idea what that field was i thought i can get few people to do it and again an idea a friend gave now let's target only you know clients in the us we can charge them in dollars the margin will be high so mm-hmm. anyway so all these happened and then finally everything pretty much got stuck when i got you know got my hands into uh tire recycling so i had this consultant indian born in the us and he was in his late 60s uh who said i've got this particular research done and this, this is project, the third one yeah this is the third this one this is the last one this was the last one so the civil waste so and then electronics waste and then first was the construction waste and then the electronic yeah. waste and then i got into a bit of car accessories car accessories from okay. germany and trying to sell here yeah and then uh, it was the uh, marketing thing uh, and and uh, you know those websites and stuff like that Oh, okay uh, so you did a marketing okay that was nothing to do with the civil or waste or construction or anything like that no 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 nothing to do with that at all okay digital marketing digital marketing and mm-hmm. then uh, because i did civil engineering the first year pretty much all the subjects it's common for all engineering uh, 
batches. Doesn't matter which which. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did engineering. In our college, yeah. we used to have uh, students from textile engineering because first year was common. Mm. So I kept in touch with my friends, and most of them had become uh, merchandise officer or things like that in garment industry. Mm-hmm. And as we know, no, most of the garments gets manufactured in India or very mm-hmm. reputed brand. Mm-hmm. And even if there's a small defect, like for example, if this button instead of being here, it is slightly on the top or something like that, they immediately they cut the label and they say, no, we can't send it. So these kind of rejected goods, even though material, everything is the same, you know, pretty much on a fortnightly basis, you will have like thousands of these shirts. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, we usually auction it mm. and it will be at a throwaway price. You can buy this for, let's say, 300 rupees. You can sell it for 1,000 rupees, saying that in market it is 5,000 rupees. Mm. Mm. So I said, okay, here's another opportunity. And immediately, again, I got my hands into it. But what I didn't realize is, okay, let's say I have bought 1,000 shirts, different shirts, of course, not the same shirt. It's not that I can sell all 1,000 of them. Mm. Maybe 200, 300 I sell and I can't, I ask the other, no, the same customers to come and visit. They say, okay, have you got a new shirt? So which means I have to again go spend money and have to get more shirts. But I'm still sitting with three, no, 700 to 800 shirts. Mm. Again, mm. inventory, stock management, all that. I had absolutely mm. no clue. Mm. Mm. Uh, so that was another venture that I started. And finally, it was this uh, tire recycling. Mm. where uh, I had uh, one of property, ancestral property in my name. Mm. So I decided to sell it. And I said, you know what, let me burn the bridge and run. Either I'm going to win or I'm going to die. I'm going to take that approach and uh, mm. sold that, invested all of it. And because it was something to do with recycling, you have to get permission from the state and also the central pollution board. It was all of the place got stuck. And yeah, that's when I realized, no, no. Uh, Gray hair is a sign of age, not always wisdom. Mm. Having uh, get, you know, that, that so-called experience consult and to work. Mm. So this was 2011 after I came back from Tamil Nadu, mm. where I was working as a project manager. Mm. And that's when I decided, you know what, enough is enough. Now I somehow want to pay my educational loan. I can't juggle around like this. And there's no point spending in dollars and earning in rupees. Let me make it the other way around. Mm. So in 2012, I decided to again um, go back to Melbourne. I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do. Let me just embrace the unknown. Let mm. me find some kind of a job. My only main focus was to repay my education. Repay the loan. Yeah. And then I said, okay, let me go with the floor. So you are Sorry. you are in Melbourne, and what did you do? You started with what you are doing today, or you did some job again? No, no, no. Even in my wildest dream, I never thought that one day I will be educating people on the subject finance. As I, as I just mentioned, at that particular state in my life, phase in my life, 2012, I just wanted to embrace the unknown. Mm. Because I was like, before that, okay, I'll do this, I'll do this, this is my three-month plan, this is my six-month plan. I never I kind of lived my life where I was not sure what is that I'm going to do tomorrow. Or one week from now. So I just wanted mm. to embrace the unknown and see what life has to offer. But mm. I thought, okay, let me experiment that way. Mm. And how did the journey so, unfold? The first, as I was ready to do any kind of job, I ended up with a door-to-door salesman's job. Uh, Interesting. So back in 2012, if you have got viewers in, in uh, Victoria, they might have heard of you know, uh, energy-saving devices. 
Yeah. So it was a government initiative where uh, they had given the independent contractors. These companies used to go and uh, set up this energy saving devices in people's house. That was one of the way to reduce the carbon emission or, or you know, produce some green electricity. Hmm. So we used to go and knock the door, say that, hey, this is something free from the government we are offering and these are all the things and explain. You know, you, you go do the installation, take the photos, update everything and you move on. Within, within a week, uh, now I, was, I had a conversation uh, with one of the directors uh, whom I happened to meet during the lunch break. And I said, you know what, these are all my expertise. I've spoken with few of the team leaders and I feel there is some gap. It, it was pretty new company there. They had started like six months ago. So I explained him using the language of business that is numbers, which I had learned by then. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty impressed. He said, hey, let's, let's catch up after uh, office if you're available. I want to really understand what's happening uh, from, from the ground reality perspective. So I explained and I didn't just tell him about the problem, but I also told him about the possible solutions and strategy. He was pretty much impressed and he said, you know what, if you can implement all of this, then I would be happy for you to work in the office. And obviously, you know, we'll be happy to promote you if you can implement all of this. And uh, definitely we can look into raise in salary. Mm. I was like, did you say raise in salary? He said, yes. So then, so within a month or so, now I got promoted as an operations manager. And with whatever I had learned previously working uh, in, in this project and also burning my finger in startups, I brought in those experience and expertise. Within three months, pretty much everything was in autopilot mode. From 30 people, we grew the company to 150. And almost after six or eight months, now everything, I mean, I I didn't find myself doing too much in the company. I just used to walk in, reports were ready, everything is in autopilot mode, and all the numbers were there. So we knew where, what was happening. So again, me being a seminar junkie, I was attending a lot of seminars those days and somewhere one of the speakers said 60% of the businesses in Australia fail in the very first year. Mm. I was like, did he say six zero or one six? He said six zero. I'm like, okay, what might be the reason? I started doing some research, started reading reports by ATO, ASIC, and it said uh, it is mainly because of finance mismanagement, poor financial control, cash flow issues. So it all kind of came down to the subject finance. Mm. So that's when I thought, ah, is there an opportunity for, for whatever I've learned in terms of the subject finance to educate people? Because until then I thought, you know, Australia, developed country people know what they do and things like that. Mm. Again, uh, I did something that had worked previously and that is for that was about asking for help. So I kept in touch with some of my professors from MBA days. Uh, and one of them put me in touch with a person called Dr. Marcus Pau, who was mm. uh, like entrepreneur in residence at RMIT. He was the heading, you know, he was heading the business plan competition at RMIT those days. Mm. Now he's at Melbourne Uni and then Latrobe running similar programs. So Marcus was kind enough to give me an appointment mm. for 20 minutes and we ended up speaking for two hours. Mm. And finally, at the end of the meeting, he said, Chinmay good and getting good from me is not easy. Mm. I think mm. you are up to something uh, and then we should look at exploring the opportunity of working together. Mm. Like, are you serious? He said, yes. 
what he made me realize is until then i thought it was my weakness not having a finance or a commerce or an accounting background he said mm. that is my greatest strength because even my audience they may not have that background and i can explain the subject finance in simple layman language so that anybody mm. can mm. understand it mm. Mm. So that is when i decided to put down my paper as operations manager Mm. And uh, yeah, started Finance Academy Australia in 2014. 2014. Yes. And uh, so good. So I understood the first part is uh, very interesting. The employment to starting multiple companies, learning from there, and then coming and starting with a job. And you had a very clear purpose of uh, getting your money back that you spent on education. And uh, the whole experience of failing also is so useful. And a lot of time we, we kind of shy away by saying we failed in certain things, but failure is the best teacher. So you utilize mm -hmm. that, did a good job there. And then again, you can only connect the back backward. Now that time you didn't know either you'll get into finance education. You like the, the area. And especially when it hit you that 60% of the businesses fail. So it's a good opportunity to create an impact. So. I can see the dots connecting and then you met this professor who, whom you had a very high respect of and if he's saying something is on the right track so that give you the confidence and and so what what did you how did you go about starting your finance education you were nobody you didn't have any finance background yes your professor said to you but uh, now you're looking at it as a setting up as a business so how did you go about it oh you know what i think if i look at my first so-called business plan if everything worked according to plan, I should have been driving a Ferrari at the end of the first year. Well, that wasn't <laughs> the key. Uh, as they say, one plus one is never equal to two in business. Mm. Uh, there's so many things that I assumed. I thought, you know what, accountants will welcome me with open arms, saying that, mm. hey, finally, you know, there is someone who is educating our clients uh, so that we can have more meaningful conversation. Mm. But however, once I started approaching and interacting with them, I realized it goes the other way around. They saw me as a threat. In fact, some of the accountants have told me on my face saying that, no, you are a threat to my business because you're educating my clients. I want my clients to be ignorant so that really? they can come back to me again and again, and I can keep charging for the services. Uh, so a somewhere... Couple of, a couple of quick questions. So when you start a company, uh, you look at following things. What's the value proposition that I have for the marketplace? Uh, who are going to be my ideal clients? Uh, how do I reach out to them? How do I prospect them, convert into sales? And then how do I deliver? Now, looking mm -hmm. at you from the background that you explained, a value proposition kind of you had, but you, know, you were just starting out. Uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to identifying the customer, you kind of you knew, but I'm not sure if you knew who your ideal customer were. When it comes to marketing, yes, you had failed experiences, but I don't know what you set up to do the marketing. When it comes to prospecting, well, how you did it. When it comes to finally closing the sale, how you did it. And how do you deliver? What did you deliver? I, I want to understand this. If you can kind of create a picture of this whole thing. Sure, sure. See, one thing is, as you rightly said, the value proposition was something that was clear to a great extent because I saw the gap in the market. Mm. And uh, every time I spoke with people, I caught up with people over coffee and was explaining what is that now I can bring onto the table and what is that they're going to learn. I could see that aha moment and, and uh, they were really interested. So here is However, my question to you. Here is my question to you. Sorry to interrupt. And I, by asking this question, you know, I am jotting down a roadmap, which you have already built for uh, our listeners. 
So when it comes to value proposition, any entrepreneur, a startup entrepreneur gets excited thinking that this is the best idea I have and everybody should buy into it. And when it comes mm. to buying in, people will say great idea. And the mm. only that great idea is really a great idea when you say it will cost you $5,000 as an example. And they say, mm. here is my credit card. Until mm. that happens, it's an assumption on our side that I have a great idea. Did you right. face that problem? Yes. Yes. You did. Okay. Right. So go from there. <laughs> yes. Because initially we, we, we think whatever idea we have is the best idea. It's like saying, you know what, my baby is the most beautiful baby in the world. Right. right. And we bring in the same emotion saying that, hey, here is my idea. I'm sure that people uh, will want to really you know, uh, embrace this or buy this. Slowly along the way, what I realized is, you know what, what I'm offering is what people need. And it is not something what they really want, want and need. Got it. And whenever there is a clash between need and want, want always kind of wins. Oh, yes. Simply because want has urgency, want has a deadline. Yes. Need, I know it is important, but it's not kind of urgent. I need yes. to buy insurance. I think I can wait. I need to go to gym and maintain a healthy body. I need, you know, I need to eat healthy food, but they are not this weekend. Let me have a cheat day yeah. or something. Yeah. So again, all these things, well, I did not learn during MBA days. And, and I don't think that is something that people can teach because usually it's, it's a bit generic now. Hopefully things are changing. It was, again, I had to learn along the way and I meet uh, fellow people who have exp no had expertise in, in marketing and figure out how to convert that need into a want. And one of the things uh, I learned from what my mentor is, he said, Chinmay, make a list of 100 people that you know. In your mm. context, they might be family, friends, mm. uh, or other, even your colleagues who might mm. be really interested to mm. buy your program. If not, mm. who would be happy to recommend mm. or give a referral? Mm. Of course, I couldn't come up with 100, but close to 50, I came up with. Mm. And he said, you know what? Throw it in the bin. Now come up with another new list of 100 people because they are the people who will really tell you if they're going to buy or not. And so why, make, why, throw, why throw the 50 in the bin? Why, why did he say so? See, because it's like your mother will always say, oh, Chinmay, your product is the best. Okay, your friend it. is like, oh, you're going to, yeah, is this person. Oh, okay. this is good. No, that's great. So that was exclusion. Basically, yeah. he asked you to just exclude all these 50. All right, got it. Okay. And how did you get about, go about finding this new 100? So now I had to think completely out of the box, people who were in my second and third circle. And then I had to go through LinkedIn contacts, people in my second, and like, Hey, you know what? I think I know this person. I might have met this person in that conference or so on and so forth. Of course, I couldn't come up with a uh, hundred. It was only 10, but that mm. was a reality check saying that mm. I don't even know to whom I'm selling mm. who are ready to give that uh, or pay for my service. So this is where, again, I had to change the strategy with regards to how can I create that awareness among my potential uh, clients? Mm. So narrowing down on the target customer. So this is where I, I somewhere had to revisit my uh, value proposition to understand, okay, do I really understand what is that I'm offering? Right. So I decided to analyze hundreds of failed businesses along with liquidators and, and administrators so close to 142 businesses I analyze. And along the way, I got an opportunity to interact and interview a lot of uh, business owners. Some of them highly successful, some of them really 
working hard and struggling to make ends meet. So got to understand their perspective, what exactly. And then again, somewhere I felt, you know what, most of these business owners, they want to be heard. Because mm. somewhere entrepreneurship or being a business owner, it's, it's, it's a lonely journey. Mm. When you have friends who are working for someone else or, or they are focusing on their career, I'm not saying it's not right or right, I mean, good or bad or right or wrong. It's, it's their personal choice. It becomes very difficult to resonate and share your thoughts with them. Sure. I can because that, yeah. the way they look at life, the goals they have is entirely different and the way you look at would be entirely different. Yeah. So they were ready to open up and share things that probably they haven't shared with many people around. So mm-hmm. that, that was gold for me. And once I compiled all the findings, I came up with common finance mistakes made in business. I just casually right. wrote an article on LinkedIn. It built some traction. Right. Uh, and then people started asking me a few questions and some of them wanted me to present to their industry association, small business group. So it kind of opened doors and I went, you know what? I'm just talking about the mistakes. Uh, for mm. people to really understand it, they need to understand the basics, the fundamentals of finance. Mm. And then how about... Uh, what not to do, like solution. So very soon I had a skeleton for a book and I ended up writing a book called Fun, The Mentals mm. of Financial Statements, which got mm. published in 16. Mm. Uh, fortunately, yeah, it sold well on Amazon, became Amazon's bestseller. Awesome. And I was able to then cater to the uh, slightly high end of the town mm. to medium to large scale businesses and corporates. So you, uh, how did so when you didn't have clarity on the need versus uh, want, which is where you were not able to crack it because you were focusing on need. Mm. How so this research helped you to get the wants right? What exactly they want? So what really helped me with the researchers pretty much to communicate that really fits or resonates with the audience. The mistakes, the common mistakes that you found out. And okay. They were able to relate to it. Now, a couple of things that I learned along the way is you should know more about your potential client's problem than they know about their problem. Awesome. So on that, I want to add to it. So my business coach, when I decided I will do professionally what I'm doing as a career coach, he said, I want you to write 99 problems of your customers. Mm -hmm. I said, fair Mm -hmm. enough. That's a lot of number. And I mean, I was one of those like five years, six years, seven years back. I was that customer. So Mm -hmm. maybe I can think from my perspective, but 99 is a lot. And I Mm -hmm. actually did it. I put 110. And the next thing he said, now I want you to ask your, write down uh, 100 benefits you can give it to, give to your clients. I said, that's Mm -hmm. crazy. I'm just starting out. How can I think of 100? But eventually I did that as well. And he said, Mm -hmm. just by doing those two things, Mm. Uh, you are in the top 10% of the service provider in your area because 90% would have never ever thought that deeply. Mm. Mm. Okay, so when you said that 100, 100, you started with get 100 people who are your friends and then you said get now 100 new. I was constantly thinking about it. There is a, uh, there is a, there is a, what do you call, there's a power in that 100. Most people will live at around 50, 60 and all, but if you could stretch to 100, you have reached a region where people have not really delved into. Oh, very okay, true. So, uh, we'll come, let's come back to your spot. 
So the mistakes you got it, uh, where I was thinking, uh, because you kind of started to draw this roadmap of a startup. Now you have got the value proposition with this. Uh, you have a keen understanding of the deep understanding of the mistakes, common mistakes they are doing. It's time for you to start finding clients who are willing to pay. Did that happen at that time? Did you have to do anything else to start finding clients who are willing to pay? And did you have the whole delivery ready by then? What okay. will you do to them? See, I had the content ready with okay. regards to uh, conducting a half a day workshop or one day or you know, six sessions in person, one-to-one. So I had all the content, everything ready. Okay, so which... And you had already created the, the, what do you call, the structure. What will you deliver? How much time you will take? Whether it's a half a day, ah. so six days and all of those things you had already worked out. Okay, great. Did, so you have to change it late? Did you have to change it later or it kind of was oh, in the right? Yes, every time, every time. Even today, I keep revising. I keep yeah. you know, revisiting, revising the content, yeah. trying to come up with better uh, examples that, yeah. that people can you know, relate and resonate. Yes. Yes. And also use uh, you know, examples of businesses that, that people talk in today's world and see, you know, explain things from their perspective. So in terms uh, of uh, your client base, before publishing the hmm. book and after publishing the book, Mm-hmm. Was there um, so again one of the persons said Chinma, you know what imagine 20 years back if someone walked up to you gave you a business card and said hey if you want more details visit my website we would all go what you have a website mm. these days uh, if someone walks up to you and say hey here is a copy of my book people go yes. wow you've written a book it's a visiting card yeah. just back of time, another 5 or 10 years everyone would be saying hey here is a copy of my book here is a so to a great extent, unfortunately, people are using book as a glorified business card. Yeah, it is. So, it is. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, again, one of my mentors said, Chinma, ask yourself for 25 or $30 you charge for the book. Would you buy it yourself? Right. So that really, again, made me to completely revisit the content and make sure that, you know what, I don't want to just use it as a glorified business card. I want this for people to not just read, but also pass it on to someone else. And fortunately, it happened. Some of my, I mean, some of the companies are using my book in their uh, new employee starter kit for managers so that they under, better understand the subject finance. Awesome. And, and again, books can reach places where we cannot reach. And I've got mm-hmm. quite a few people who have contacted from nowhere saying that, hey, I read your book. It was great. Can we catch up? I would like to know more how you can educate our, our team members and things like that, which I never expected. And somewhere, awesome. once you have you know, 50, 100 clients, and then you start kind of understanding the so-called avatar, yeah. the age yeah. bracket, their background, uh, the kind of questions they ask. You go, okay, I think these are the people who really want it right now. Mm-hmm. And probably these mm-hmm. are the people who need it at a later mm-hmm. stage. So what came, should... out for, what came out for your business? What was the, the ideal customer or the avatar during that analysis? Who became your avatar? See, as of now, from the age perspective, people who are in their late 20s to kind of mid 40s, okay, 80% of my clients are in that bracket. Uh, probably because people who are uh, younger than 25, they know everything because they yeah. have Professor Google in their pocket. And yeah. people who are about 50, again, I'm not generalizing, most of the time, the interaction I have with them, they say, oh, we have tried everything. Or oh, this, I did it in 90s. Or oh, this, I did it. Oh, we have tried this. Yeah. And then for them, it is more about I have to prove to them why is that I'm still sitting in front of them and why is that they should consider my program. Whereas this age group, I found that most of them are curious, they're open to learning. 
Got and it. the next thing is, of course, now people who want to start their own startup or second generation business owners who want to mm. enter family business mm. and also people who are uh, in managerial role or aspiring to be uh, a manager or get into that management role. So I want to come to these some of these aspects of your teaching. Uh, before that, I want to finish your startup journey of uh, uh, creating your value proposition, understanding the difference between need and want, understanding your avatar and ideal customer, you know, doing the research to find out what are the common mistakes. And when you start to uh, say that out loud, people start to relate to you. And uh, then, of course, you wrote the book. What was your now marketing uh, channel? How, how do you market your business? Again, as, as I, I knew that, you know what, I can't go to my existing contacts. I have to build a whole new contact list mm. altogether. So I was very active in the uh, business networking arena. Business so networking. any business networking that was happening, I used to be there, catch up with people, exchange cards, follow up with them, connect with them. Okay. And slowly I kind of identified a few business groups that where I felt, you know what, this is where I can really hang around for some more time. And I became member and okay. actively participated in all the meetings. Okay. Uh, and then make, make sure that no, I also help people by connecting them with my contacts. I mean, see, I, I want to add or just highlight this. You said, oh, I went to business networking. I did business group. I met this, met that. Most people hear those things. And what people generally miss is I actively participated. I helped others. <laughs> Those are the most important part rather than saying I did, went there, went there, went there. That doesn't really help. Only when you actively participate, people see value in what you do, what you say, how you are interacting, empathizing, helping others, you know, kind of helping connect them with somebody whom they could get help with. All of those things, when you do, then only you become a valuable part of a community. And that's when the result is start. Until then, it's like, oh, I've tried all the networking. It doesn't work. Is that, is, that, is that what you feel? Exactly. See, most of the time, the perception we have with networking is we go there and we are in front of potential clients and everyone is like, hey, I want your service. I want your product. No, Here is my car. Not at all. Not at all. But the thing is, uh, most of them are on the same boat. Yes. And then they may not be comfortable talking about or, or making that connection. So one of the things that worked well for me is whenever I went to a new group saying that, hey, you know, I'm here for the first time. That's how I used to intend. People were more than happy. See, the thing is, we should give opportunity for people to help us. And everyone, everyone is silently somewhere, you know, looking to help someone because that's one of the human tendencies, right? We mm. feel good. Mm. So saying that, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, with open mind, uh, this is what I do. Who, who, who are the people do you think that I should be connecting? Immediately they'll say, hey, you should meet this person, this person. And then again, you still play the same card. Oh, this is my second time. Uh, I was there last time. Oh, I met you, right? And then slowly uh, you would have three, four, five people, you know, common people, common faces, and you say hello, and you, you feel that, okay, I, I kind of belong here. Hmm. And along the way, you will also come across people who might be new. That mm -hmm. is when you again approach them. Are you new? I haven't seen you before. Oh, you know mm -hmm. what? Uh, it's been more than a year. I haven't visited. Or they say, yes, I'm pretty new. Okay, what is that you do? Oh, you know what? I think you should be meeting this person. Mm -hmm. And they'll be grateful. Perfect. And then again, now uh, they will connect. They'll be more than happy to connect with you on LinkedIn. And they'll wish you on your whatever uh, birthdays and things like that. You 
make the post, they like it, and you like it uh, as well. Somewhere, again, you bump into them. So slowly, that relationship is built. Right. So with a matter of three to six months, you, you're kind of known in that network and right. you understand how it works. And slowly, you know, pitch in saying that, hey, I would like to conduct a session for the member. Now I know something like this, which, which would enhance the value for the community and things like that. And again, looking from the people who have created that network, they want more engagement, more interaction happening. And they'll be happy to take those ideas. Perfect, man. So you got, gave a lot of tactical ideas and uh, what you do, what you say, what you know, all of those things. Are, you know, very, very good. Thank you very much. So that's yeah. one part of it. And a lot of people think, oh, that's very slow process. I want to grow my business faster. I want to get into online marketing and you know the content creation or maybe advertisement did you do any one of those things no i haven't done much whether it is facebook ads and things like that i didn't do those days these days yes of course i do hmm. see one thing we have to understand is we have to really understand what is that we are selling hmm. and are we selling something that will be one-off or is it something ongoing hmm. or is it something that is going to build traction through word of mouth hmm. If it is something that will build traction uh, through word of mouth and if it is ongoing, then I personally feel that there is no shortcut mm. uh, because it is all relationship based. Mm. And building trust is not something we can do overnight. It takes a bit of a time. So when it comes to trust building, the knowledge sharing part, like you started to write articles where you said common finance mistakes, that's one way of building trust in this era where you share content which connects with the potential audience. So you are in a way educating. That's You educate first and then you potentially have them as clients. So did you do some sort of content writing, content marketing, apart from your book? Uh, yes. In fact, shall I quickly share my, uh, not screen, but draw something here? Yeah. Okay. So in that case, let me uh, draw it and then we, you know yeah. you can accordingly use it. Yeah. Yeah. So let us say this is you or the product or service that you're offering. And let us say this is our potential. Now, usually whenever someone wants to buy something, and I'm sure we can all relate to this yeah. from someone, whether it is a product or a service, there is this yeah. kind of an invisible gap. That's right. Because they're like, you know, I don't know this person. I don't know exactly if uh, the product or service that they're offering really suits my needs or probably it might, but I'm not sure if I really want to buy from them. There are other people. So they've got so many ifs and buts. Yeah, I mean, it will work for me whether I am willing to pay that price. And if I pay that price, if it doesn't work, is it worth it? I have a high risk. It might have worked for others. Will it work for me? Is he the right person? There are so many questions. You are absolutely right. Yeah. So one of the effective ways to reduce this gap is to build trust. That's right. Now, whether we like it or not, world runs on perception of reality. Yeah. So what is the perception our potential clients have when it comes to the service or uh, product that we are selling? Now, this is where one of my mentors said, Chinmay, you, you literally have to kind of strip yourself and put yourself in one corner of the room and ask yourself from a potential client perspective, what is the perception I have when I see this person? Mm. Because I also wanted to uh, position myself uh, as an authority on the subject finance and then wanted to be a professional speaker. Mm. So I, I had to literally know kind of uh, be not politically correct mm. and then just 
say that you know what this is this might be the perception because mm-hmm. people don't speak those things so i said you know what okay here i see a bloody brown skin indian mm-hmm. perception mm-hmm. so what is the perception people are going to get mm-hmm. once they see me like that mm-hmm. or then the chances of them engaging with me or or thinking that i'm a financial educator is very less so mm-hmm. what are those things that i can do which which can slowly change their perception true Now, I can't just point finger and say that no, you're all bloody racist or uh, you don't understand the subject, you don't give importance to this or that. It's just pointing fingers, coming up with excuses. Now, yeah. in life, either we are going to have an excuse or a result, not both. Yeah. So, if I want to have that result, only thing that is in my control is to slowly change that perception. Mm. So that is when, again, when I meet people at networking events, the way I speak, mm. the way mm. I connect with them, it creates some kind of a perception. Mm. they say oh okay he is not what i thought mm. might be mm. Mm. and then i give them my business card the way i give it as well now like the way the japanese give you give it with both the hands you just don't give it with one hand like take it all you yeah, do whatever you want and then i make sure that i connect with them on linkedin and in on my linkedin i have kind of prepared it in such a way that it positions me as an authority so i have mm. got close to 6000 uh, connections so again some perception when you have 6000 have got n number of videos on it people who have given testimonials what all i have done the flyer the background so on and so forth another perception is created then once they know i have written a book perception completely changes to a different uh, level altogether mm. uh then if i catch up with them so usually what i do these days is my website my linkedin or or any social media handles and things like that i want all of those materials and resources to create touch points and create the perception where if someone wants to talk to me in person they're not sitting in front of me thinking should i still work with him hmm. they have I consumed, want them to be yeah they have known you enough by consuming your uh, content on internet yes. and also number of things that you talked about if you had met them how you met them how you Uh, talk to them how you share your card with them and how you connect on linkedin and so on and so forth so it's a it's a it's a lot of different things rather than just do abc and uh, it's a way of doing is also very important no very well articulated so i got that idea so in a number of years you have prepared yourself with all the uh, online content which is good enough for you to develop trust with individuals plus trust is not built in one interaction so you have got multiple interactions you have got linkedin you have got your videos you've got your book uh, you do seminars and uh, you probably go on podcast so you have different uh, ways of engaging with the clients and potential clients and if they have two three four five interaction they see you in different forms the trust keeps going up and is that right is that the thinking very true very true on so top of that about, yeah uh, yeah you know as they say you no know, repetition and and frequency Yeah. So yeah. how frequently and how repeatedly people have heard about your product or service? Yeah. So in summary, what you talked just now, and my question was, how do you market? So you talked about the whole cycle of building trust by uh, doing number of things and authority and everything. So while we were talking business, I was also re- relating to how the career works today. Career is the business of you today. It's not really employment. You know that the world has changed. Anyway. so coming on so so you gave me the value proposition you gave me the marketing part of it and of course we cannot cover in a conversation and teach somebody here it is on plate and you can just do it there's a lot to do 
in terms of sales once your marketing is done do you have any process in sales if you could just one or two sentences tell me what your sales process is okay now i'm i'm very clear with regards to the marketing that we'll be doing is it for people to purchase my online program or is it for them to purchase my book or both or is it for them to attend one of my master class where i will be telling them about the uh, one one week program hybrid program that i have got these days so i'm kind of clear and and we we make sure when you know the funnel is created in such a way that people know what to expect awesome. uh, and then we know what is that they we want them to get out of it and right. yeah so these are the people that that got it so for different products you have different sales channels some of the products are sold without any sales conversation and some of the product high end products especially the training or courses you may be having another intervention where you kind of discuss with them what their needs are and whether you can uh, achieve their needs with your courses is that right yes yes so this was another thing that i learned from my mentor he said chinna you might want to give so much to your clients hmm. but they can only take so much because hmm. many times i had this interaction with with potential clients they really loved what i do and i was like okay i'm sure that they're going to buy and somehow something i was like okay something is missing and this is something one of my coach who was also a consultant said in consulting try not to be more than 10% smarter than your uh, client don't project mm-hmm. yourself that you are too much smarter very interesting person, oh my god this person knows so much i am i so, so it's like they sit as a big elephant to mm-hmm. chew mm-hmm. Mm. So just give them so much, and then little bit more, little bit more, little bit more. Got so it. maybe very valuable online program, and then I yeah, very valuable. So I got that. So I think I got the whole. Hopefully, audience would also be able to pick something out of it. Uh, coming on to the value that you are creating. So if you could briefly share what exactly you teach and what kind of results people get uh, from what you teach. Okay. See one of the. the bottom line is the bottom line i tell them whenever we make a decision do we know how it is going to impact our company's bottom line so are we making decisions and are we aware how it is going to impact the bottom line or are we making decisions hoping that it might impact in certain way and many a times it is all through gut feel and assumption and things like that like if you take any sport cricket or not football footy doesn't matter there is a scoreboard and depending on the score and the situation every player will decide accordingly how to play the game so which means they know those numbers they know those they have those relevant information and they play in such a way that it will enhance their chances of winning the game same thing in business do we know that score the relevant information which we will find it on financial statements financial reports Mm-hmm. or some of the times now uh, companies may not be comfortable sharing all the financial details but for each department there will be few critical numbers that one has to look into mm-hmm. so is someone are you aware of it and then are you making decisions based on numbers mm-hmm. and most of the time say people say don't no, i've got no clue i'm a non finance person <laughs> which according to me is a myth mm-hmm. uh so that's where i tell them you know what how about i ask few questions in fact these days i've got a quiz an online quiz that people can take cool. this is for them to tap into the i don't know that i don't know mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. immediately they go oh my god i didn't know these basics now a simple mm-hmm. question i ask them no when do you record sales as a sales when do you call sales as a sales 
Mm. Is it when someone uh, no, uh, confirms over a handshake? Is it someone when se- they send an email? Or is it when you send an invoice? Or is it when you deliver your product or service? Or is it after completing all the delivery? Mm. And some say, oh, it is here. And then suddenly they realize that, okay, I'm, I'm not clear about this basics. Mm. Mm. So that's what I said. You know, this is where I'm not going to teach you how to make business decisions. Now, I personally mm. feel you are more smarter than me when it comes to your profession, when it comes to your business. Mm. What I can help you is to look at numbers from a different perspective so that you know to a great extent how it is going to impact the bottom line. And this mm. is something that I observed when I was interviewing all these business owners, mm. so-called successful business owners and hardworking business owners. I'm not mm. saying they're lazy. Mm. They're ready to work hard. They work 8, 10, 12 hours a day, sometimes even 6, 7 days a week. Mm. Still, end of the month, unfortunately, they will be struggling to pay the bills. Mm. So what I found out that that one thing that really differentiated was the way decisions were made. So these busy, hardworking people, in the first place, they're busy. They're so busy that they have their head in the sand. Mm. They don't look things from a larger perspective and they make decisions hoping that it might bring in profit three months, six months down the line. Whereas so-called smart business owners who work few hours a day and few days a week and they have time to take care of their health, family time, so on and so forth, Mm. they make decisions to a great extent looking at numbers and they have plan A, B, C in the pipeline. So Mm. they know if something doesn't work immediately, they'll be so agile to switch. It's like, no, you want to go from point A to point B, you enter the address on Google, you Mm. miss an exit, immediately Google will reroute. Right, right. These people have that ability. Always focused on the number in some way. Hmm. Okay. I think yeah, it's... This, uh, this is something that I educate people. You know, God, it's very clear. So you kind of clarified uh, on one side a struggling entrepreneur and uh, on the other side is a flourishing entrepreneur. And uh, it all is about decision. And it's so, so clear. It's all about decisions. I got it. So I think we... Don't have enough time to go in further details. So we gone through the entrepreneurial journey and starting as an employee, starting trying startups, failing, learning. Eventually, you finding your own niche in financial education where you really liked and uh, you've been doing it for now, what, almost 10 years now? 12, 2012, 13. Eight years now. Eight years now. So it's a great journey and a lot of knowledge you've shared. So thank you for that, Chinmay. And uh, with the learnings you have got, so you didn't have a traditional career where you were in a job for you know, 10, 20 years. You have tried quite a lot of different things. So if you had to go back a number of years, a 20-year-old Chinmay, you're talking to 20-year-old Chinmay, what's the one, two, or three advice you will give it to him? Oh, the first thing would be focus. Focus? Can you elaborate and what exactly yeah, means? The word itself, focus, stands for now follow one course until success. Okay, got it. And then again, you, I, would, I, I don't really need to know everything. And you don't get all those information uh, from universities or colleges. So yes, degree, it will, uh, certificate will help you to win an interview or get a ticket or an appointment. However, it's only through interacting with people we get that main thing and i would be spending a lot of time on marketing and positioning me as an authority and awareness because as we know it is not just what we know it is not even who knows us it is who knows what we know 
Yeah, got it. But right now you have a pretty solid uh, marketing content and everything as you explained. But I understand what you're saying is in the beginning, maybe you didn't realize and it took you took longer time to build everything. If you knew, you would have done it much faster. Yes, yes. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. Is there anything you think you came on this podcast and you thought Asan should ask this question, which I did not ask? Pretty much we covered uh, most of it. And a uh, uh, couple of things I would like to reinforce is one, being authentic, because that is another thing that I have seen. The moment we go to a different country or we are in a different culture, we try to imitate. And then we think that is how I should be part of the tribe. But immediately, you know, people can smell BS from a distance. This was one of the things that I learned from a, a mentor of mine in professional speakers. Now, mm -hmm. when I joined Professional Speakers Australia, they had this a particular award for an emerging speaker, upcoming mm -hmm. speaker. Mm -hmm. So more than 100 people, they apply all over Australia and they select only one. And mm -hmm. fortunately, in 2016, I won that. Awesome. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to know, you know, what is that I've done right? What is that I need to improve on? Because I knew other people who had applied and then uh, even though I hate to compare, but I knew that no, uh, they are pretty much doing well in their uh, professional speaking world. So I happened to meet one of the people who, were, who was in the jury and he said, you know what, the reason we chose you is because uh, you were authentic. Authentic. Okay. We didn't see that you were yeah. something. You are what you are and that you were very clear. So that, that again further reinforced me saying that, you know what, yes, as you rightly said, Aisha, now you, you want people to focus on their strength and work on it rather than come up with something that they do not have at this stage. Yes, we need to work on it. We need to come out of the comfort zone. But yeah. there's so many things that we, we know is our strength. Yeah. The next thing is, besides have a coach. Have a coach, absolutely. Maybe, maybe not one coach, have different coaches for different areas yes. of your life. I've got one for my business, one for my speaking. I've got one for the whole entrepreneurship or future things that I want to discuss. Because yeah. as, as Einstein said, when two minds meet, eventually, invariably, the third one is born. Oh, that's interesting. So what mm. especially with a coach, without a coach, how does life look like with a coach or without a coach? You have, you uh, have been in both, both, both times, right? When you had nobody to guide and now you have multiple coaches. So with or without coach, what's the difference, key difference? So imagine you, you want to play a sport like tennis. Well, you can still play in your backyard or you can still play in the local club where you're a member. But if you want to play at the international level, even today, people like Federer, Nadal and Djokovic and things like that, they have a coach yeah. because they want to compete in that level. And one of the things my mother used to say is, you know, you can never see your own back. Yeah. You need someone else to do that for you. And if you have to constantly grow and evolve, then yes, we need to have these people uh, who, who see more in us than we see in ourselves. So what happens if you don't have a coach? Like where, where do you see things end up? Mediocrity, ah. confusion? Definitely, it, it might slow down the process. Of course, there are quite a few highly successful people who do not have a coach as such. But yeah. some, because I've interacted with quite a few of them, even though they didn't engage someone as a professional coach as that, but they still had someone in their family or someone in their circle mm -hmm. with whom they used to go and bounce ideas no i i kind of hoped just to get more awareness for individuals it's one is life is too short and there's no point doing trial and error and uh, not investing in so we are a product so you know we have been talking about a startup we ourselves is a product in making 
And if we do not have people who know how to create this product better, we are trying to create ourselves uh, in, on our own way, which is kind of ridiculous. You know, the, that's the way I think. And we are not doing anything out of the world. Anything and everything we are trying to do, somebody or the other has already done it. So it mm -hmm. uh, reduces the time frame, the effort, the time, the money, everything gets reduced. You get the result faster and uh, much more concrete and much more directionally uh, right. Uh, otherwise, like you did four, five, six uh, uh, startups. I don't think we need to do all those four, five, six, maybe one or two is fine. But mm. if you're trying on our own, I don't know when when will that success come. So I'm, I'm saying all this just because I was under the impression that I'm too smart to have a coach mm. for a mm. long, long time. Even when I suffered, I said, yeah, I'm suffering, but who in the world can really help me? I'm smart enough. Mm. Hmm. I don't need a coach. I was in that world for a very, very long time. But when I started to get coach, and I, I mean, they may not have been called coach. So somebody could be a, a public speaking trainer, as an example. I didn't look at him as a coach. I thought he's a public speaker. He's teaching me. That's fine. But I never used the word coach. So maybe I didn't really think in any wrong direction. Like, oh, who can coach me type? He knew it better. He was doing better. He was able to teach me. So I went along and did a lot of different things that you talked about in, in business coaching, public speaking. I, I also trained myself in public. I didn't really go to speakers bureau, which I think I should start doing at some point in time. But I did join Toastmaster. I learned a little bit there. Did an affiliate marketing where I used to present every week. And that was an opportunity to polish my speaking every time and things like that. So I think, yeah, we can go on and on. So we'll, we'll close now. You've given a lot uh, of your time and the wisdom and your learning. So really, really appreciate Chinma. And I hope this conversation will give a lot of ideas to people who are either in job or in entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship as well, because we covered both. So thank mm -hmm. you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate what you're doing, Aishan. So please, please continue doing so because we never know who is watching and, and what kind of uh, things might resonate or, or suddenly we might hear the same thing, but suddenly it might be from a different perspective altogether. True. True. So keep up the good work. And uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It, it's almost 90 minutes. Yeah. And I would look forward to hearing more uh, from other people that you would be uh, interviewing on your podcast. So awesome. good luck awesome. and, and yeah, wishing you all success. Thank you very much. Inma. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host, Esan Ali. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Chinmaya and learning from him, uh, from his startup experience. I especially liked his techniques on networking and uh, his thoughts on marketing. Uh, that's all from me right now. Let me know what you got out of Chinmaya's story. And if you're looking for your next big adventure, either within employment or wanting to transition to entrepreneurship, do connect with me on LinkedIn. I may be able to help you myself or will connect you with someone who has already been on the journey you're contemplating right now.